Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler, coming at you after a tough loss to the Miami Heat in the first game of the 2020 playoffs, 113-101 in favor of Miami. Uh, so, you know, before we dive into the game, the first thing I want to talk about really quick, uh, Victor Oladipo, who sustained uh, an eye injury. Uh, I believe it was just an accidental bump by, I think, Jay Crowder uh, in the, early in the first quarter. Uh, he was at the hospital after the game. Obviously, there's no word on whether or not he will play yet in the next game. Of course, you're just wishing for him to, to, to feel better and get better. Um, he was not looking great. His eye was definitely swollen up. He stayed on and take free throws in case he could come back into the game. But it was clearly bothering him a lot. So that's going to be something to look forward. Uh, well, not really looking forward to, but something to keep our eye on. Oh, that's rather ironic in a sad way, but something to keep our eyes on looking forward. Um, Obviously, I mean, that's a huge loss if Victor can't play for even another game. We saw that today. Losing him was huge. So now just diving into the game, uh, there's a lot to take away from it. I think there was a lot of good and bad, and we're just kind of going to siphon through it and see what we can pick out of it, and we'll, we'll go over some adjustments later. Um, the first thing, the bench finally looked really good. Uh, and I know, again, it's a loss, but I, I think that was key to look at. The bench played really well today. Outscored the Heat bench 35 to 30. Justin Holiday actually did not miss a shot today. Uh, played really well, four of four from the field, three of three from three. Played really solid defense as well. Rebounded, just the typical Justin Holiday game, you know. Doug McDermott still is continuing to uh, try and find his shot. Still in 17 minutes, he only took four shots and was one of three from three. But he played pretty well. I mean, I, I don't think he was horrible. He actually played some pretty solid defense today, uh, but just was largely a non-factor on offense. So he was used as, as a screener a couple times, which I liked. But it, he's still just struggling to get in rhythm. But seeing Justin get in rhythm was, was a major positive. And in a surprising move and one that I have kind of been calling for and hopeful for, Edmund Sumner was the first man off the bench today. He ended up playing 27 minutes uh, and was pretty instrumental in, in Duncan Robinson going two of eight from three and from the field in general. Um, granted, he missed a couple open shots, but he finished with six points and uh, only played 24 minutes. But Sumner was huge in the transition game, just with his energy on defense, picked up six rebounds. Uh, he was a, a significant part of when the Pacers were playing well. Um, so I, I really look to see more of him down the stretch. Uh, he had a couple of gaffes on defense, but overall, I just think his length and athleticism and the energy he was playing with were a massive positive for the Pacers today. Uh, and we'll con continue to see that going forward, I think. Uh, Aaron did not have a great game. He got into foul trouble early. Uh, it was only three or five from the field. Ended up playing 16 minutes because um, he just really, really was struggling with foul trouble, and he could not hang with Goran Dragic today. Uh, Goran Dragic was a man on a mission and he was just killer. I mean, he finished with 24 points, six boards, five assists, four nine from three. He only got to the line once, but it felt like he got there a ton, probably because he was just slicing through the middle of the defense and getting to the rim uh, or taking some pretty... He, he, was, he was hitting hard shots, too, from, you know, like 10 or 15 feet, just tough mid-rangers that are 
not easy to guard. He, he just had an incredible game. And that was especially difficult coupled with the offensive struggles that the Pacers had, especially coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, they only scored a 19 points in the second quarter and 21 points in the fourth quarter, uh, outscored by double digits in both those quarters. Um, and it really, really showed in the fourth quarter that they were just missing any kind of half-court creation. Uh, every shot clock was winding down before the shots were coming up. The ball movement was really lackluster. Um, or not that the ball movement was lackluster. Like There was pretty solid ball movement, but there wasn't a lot of player movement. There weren't a lot of guys who were able to get mismatches or uh, any cuts that were happening that, were, that was getting anything open. It was just a lot of um, grinded out offense and it was not effective and I think a lot of possessions ended up with Malcolm at the top of the key having to isolate with seven or eight seconds left and he went one of six from three and largely because I mean he, he had a poor shooting game but he had to isolate on Bam Adebayo a few times and that's that's really tough the way that he closed out on him at the top of the key uh, only had like one catch and shoot three the entire game uh, so that's, you know, it's automatically tough, especially as I've, I've talked on before. Malcolm's not really a great off-the-dribble three-point shooter. He's much more effective as a guy who's going to be off the catch. Um, so he was put in a tough spot. He, he got to the line a bunch. He drove really well, uh, but he, it was just hard for him to generate anything out of the drives. They were playing the passing lanes really well, and even if he was able to get a pass out, the open shots weren't there. Uh, if there were open shots, they weren't necessarily being taken or they were being closed out to really quickly. Uh, just a tough game offensively for Malcolm, um, even though he did play pretty well. I mean, 22 points and 10 assists is still a solid game, but he shot you know, below, below league average true shooting percentage. It was like 49.5%, um, which league average is 55%, just about on true shooting percentage. Uh, TJ Warren had a good game, but a quiet game, which is hard to say for somebody who had 18 field goal attempts. Um, I mean, he played really well for what, you know, when you consider all things, he, 22 points, eight boards, three assists, four steals, and obviously, you know, box scores and everything. But he, he did fill it up. He had a good game. Uh, but a lot of it was just he, he was gone for stretches because the Heat, that's their game plan. They're, take, they're doing whatever they can to take TJ out of the game, and it's working so far. Uh, he was not part of the offense for large stretches. The, he was really struggling to get open. Um, a lot of, you know, Caitlin Cooper put it really well on Twitter. Um, they weren't really using his gravity as a scorer at all to generate anything else for the offense. And that's something that, just to elaborate on that, that's really important. When you have a guy like TJ who's commanding double teams, pretty much any time he got within 18 or 16 feet, the Heat were doubling him. Very rarely was he getting a one-on-one -on -one matchup unless it was in transition. And even in transition, he was getting doubled as well uh, once he got down the court. But when you have a guy who's commanding that much attention, you got to use him to, to cut or to set screens or to do anything that, that can you know, bring more attention, keep the attention on him while opening things up for other guys. And that, that largely wasn't the case. He was used as a screener a few times, but not too much. Um, and he, I mean, he had two turnovers, but considering, like, he, he passed out of double teams pretty well. There were, it was like one or two passes where, uh, he got the ball to the right place, but the guy just mishandled it. Uh, overall, TJ played a good game. He played some solid defense, uh, guarded Jimmy a little bit, and was uh, kind of mixed results. I mean, he guarded Jimmy okay, but uh, Jimmy Butler, I think that's the biggest takeaway from the game is that uh, Jimmy Butler is the best player in the series, and it showed today. Um, those two threes that he hit to close out the game were just complete daggers. Uh, for a guy who shot, he was the third worst 
three-point shooter on volume this year in the league and one of the worst shooters in general, including mid-range. Um, shot below 30% from from three and uh, way below league average on mid-range shots. And he hit two just complete dagger threes off the dribble. And those sank the game. If he misses both of those, then it's a we're probably talking about a different game. Maybe the Heat still win it. Uh, but it, you know, that was, that was definitely tough. Um, and you know, the great players are going to hit those shots. Jimmy Butler's probably going to be a hall of fame player. Um, and it, you know, it was frustrating too, because he was the, the Pacers played him really well, honestly, uh, except for the fouling. He got to the line 12 times. I mean, well, not 12 times, six or seven times had 12 attempts at the line, uh, eight of 15. So in, in, in total, he did not really shoot that well, but it, when he's getting to the line that much, uh, that's killer. Um, and it, you know, the Pacers were able to force a lot of turnovers out of him, which was surprising. Normally he's not a, a massive turnover machine, uh, considering he generates so much of their offense, but they were able to force some. So, I mean, the, the Pacers defense played pretty well, except down the stretch, it was just, again, those, those threes were tough. Goran Dragic was hitting big shots and the, I think there were just a lot of areas where the defense could be cleaned up. There were some, some gaffes, like I've said the word gaffes like a million times already, but there was like a switch that could have happened on the Spain pick and roll uh, that the Heat ran with Kelly Olynyk. So they run that a lot. So Kelly Olynyk will come over from the corner, uh, bump in for a quick screen on the ball handler, and and pop out really quick to the top of the key. And he gets the ball, pops a quick three. Now that was the only three that he hit tonight, but it was wide open, and that was off of a misread on defense. So if that doesn't happen, you know, those are the kinds of things that swing a game. You have to be looking for that. If you go back and watch the Heat, you know they run a ton of Spain pick and roll with Kelly Olynyk. Uh, so, you know, that was tough. Uh, Goran Dragic, I think that's something to look at moving forward. Um, a, Aaron just did not, Aaron Holly did not have a great game, especially defensively, like we mentioned with the fouls. But um, finding someone and some way to cover Goran Dragic is going to be huge because he was separating it. He was creating space for himself and separating from his defender really easily tonight, which is what allowed him to go off. Um, so there has to be some kind of way to, to, to counter that because Sumner was largely on Duncan Robinson for most of the night and um, was able to contain him a little bit. So you can't have him playing, you know, both Duncan Robinson and Goran Dragic. There has to be somebody else who steps up and does that. So one of the other big takeaways for me was the, the turnover battle. I talked about that with Tom yesterday. This team has to win the turnover battle. And we saw in the first half, the team was winning the turnover battle, especially in the first quarter. It evened out a little bit more towards the end of the first half, which is when we saw this team, you know, go in with a deficit to halftime, uh, albeit a small one. But they ended up being down 13 to nine in the turnover battle. And when you're including a non-live ball turnovers, it was 15 to nine in favor of Miami. So, uh, you know, we mentioned in the pa- in the other podcast that Miami is one of the highest turnover rate teams in the league. So you've got to force turnovers without turning the ball over yourself. And the Pacers weren't able to do that tonight. And Nate McMillan talked about that in the post game uh, on how, you know, that's one of the adjustments, which that's not really technically an adjustment, but again, he was asked post game. So uh, I don't know. It's, Regardless, it's something that you need to see not happen, but that that shouldn't have happened already. So that was that was difficult. That you can't really replace that at all, um, unless you're shooting the lights out. So before we take a quick break, before we get to our final points, um, uh, I think we need to talk about Miles a little bit. There was obviously, you know, as as always, whenever there's a Pacer loss, uh, Miles Turner's name gets thrown to the fire. Um, and to his credit, I mean, he didn't have 
the worst game. He played some really good defense. He actually played really, really good defense on Bam Adebayo, uh, especially in the second half, and, and forced him into some tough shots and tough misses. Um, and for the, a lot of the open shots that, that Bam did have on Miles, uh, I mean, there were shots he wanted to take. You want Bam to take those, you know, 14 or 16 footers. Uh, I would leave those uncontested too if he's going to take them. Let him take them all day. If he beats you on that, you know, so be it. Um, but, you know, the big gripe with Miles today was his offense. His offense was poor. He's 4'11 from the field. And it's not necessarily even this, this you know, the box score. It's just the way that his offense was played today. He just didn't look comfortable out there. And it's the thing, it's what we've been talking about pretty much since I've been on this podcast. I mean, uh, and it's not to berate Miles. I mean, I love him as a guy and as a player, um, but it was frustrating. You know that there's so much more there, and he did not showcase that tonight on offense. He was really hesitant on his threes. He only took two threes, but he passed up three or four looks, and there was one um, in the corner completely wide open in the fourth quarter. He, If he popped it real quick, I mean, that's a shot that he easily hits. Um, and it, it was just it's, – it's tough to see that because, A – um, you want it for him, but also you just know the team needs it. Um, the team really needed him to shoot. Well, I, I also, I misspoke. He took three threes tonight and missed all of them. I was looking at his free throws. And you also consider, I mean, he had a couple turnovers, um, just mishandled the ball a little bit, and he wasn't great around the basket. It, it just, he did, he just wasn't there tonight offensively. And I'm, you know, I, I I'm definitely not at the point where I'm going to say that I'm quote unquote out on Miles Turner. Uh, I'm I'm really tired of people using that term. It, it happens every game that he has a bad game. And he's had some really good games since being in the bubble. Um and he was really like, you know, I've I mentioned so many times he was playing well down the stretch before the hiatus. Was it a perfect game? No, not by any means. He had a lackluster game in a, in a lot of ways, but he had a good game in some ways too. And the rebounding, you can't really put that on him. This team actually this was the first time the Pacers have out rebounded the Heat the entire year, if you don't include the throwaway game that they played on uh, last week. So, I, well, there was a lot that, that didn't go right. There was a lot more that could have gone wrong. So I don't think you can put it all in miles. But at the same time, it's just starting to get to the point where you're like, you know, when is it going to click? When is it going to happen consistently? Because it needs to. Um, when Victor's out and Miles is essentially, you know, and TJ can't get going because of the attention he's drawing, you need Miles to step up and provide more than he provided tonight. And that's, you know, not, not an indictment of him, but uh, I mean, his role is adjusted and shifted so many times this year. But at the same time, it's got to be there. You, you need more from him than nine points because, you know, he's capable of so much more. That's where it's coming from. It's not me trying to, to, to shit on him or anything. You just know that he's capable of so much more. I know he is. Um, so that was that was one of the real frustrating points from the game, even, you know, trying to look at it objectively and and not getting not 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 getting frustrated with a Pacers game. But anyways, we're going to head into a quick break before we hit our final. Welcome back, Pacer fans. And before we get back into it, I just want to remind you really quick to please, please, please go rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That really helps us out, um, gives us some good feedback, lets us know what, what you're liking, what you're not liking, how we can make things better. And just, you know, any general feedback would be awesome. So thank you. And thank you for listening. And uh, enjoy the rest of the show. 
So in getting back to it, uh, you know, looking at some adjustments that we could maybe see in, in game two and the rest of the series moving forward. I think one that that really sticks out to me, and I talked to a couple of people um, in, in Pacers media about this and just, you know, other higher uh, people in the game. Um, Bam Adebayo was isolated on nine times today. I got that that stat from Nikias Duncan, uh, who does some great work. He actually did the heat preview with me. Um, that's the second most he's been isolated on in the entire season. And there's a reason why people don't isolate on Bam Adebayo. Um, it was just confusing. I'm not really understanding why that's happening. That happened in the the, the final meaningful game in the bubble against the Heat. Uh, the team would routinely screen onto, you know, even when they had an ideal matchup, they would screen onto Bam Adebayo. And they were doing that again today. And it's a little vexing because Bam Adebayo, well, yes, he's a center. Uh, he's 6'9", 250, 260, whatever. But he's one of the most mobile players of that size in the game, if not the most mobile. And he he's capable of switching out and defending and locking down guys, even if they're guards or wings. You know, he can do that. He's very good at that. And that was a huge problem today, like I was mentioning earlier with Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, Malcolm, to his credit, played pretty well considering. Uh, but, you know, when him and TJ are, are getting isolated on – Bam out of bio at the top of the key or on on you know the left or right wings like it doesn't make any sense. I don't I don't get why that's happening. Uh, I don't necessarily understand why you would screen onto that. Um, so that's something I definitely look forward to not seeing in the rest of the series. But I'm not hopeful because it's happened two games in a row now. Um, but you know you never know. I'm 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 definitely fingers crossed on that one with with all of the Pacers fans. Um, the next thing that I would look at is in terms of Bam again, uh, playing him a little bit tighter on defense. Um, it, this wasn't necessarily a milestone. It was more coming in transition. Obviously, it's a lot to ask Justin Holiday to step up and, and try and guard Bam at a bio. Bam has a massive size advantage on him in both height and weight. But at the same time, when he gets a full head of steam and he's able to get going to the basket, that opens up a ton for their offense, and it opens up a lot for his individual scoring. He's not a guy who's going to kill you with the jump shot or or really with the post game either. He can do a little bit, but he's not like a, a great post 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 player. Um, but when you let him to get going to the rim with that full head of steam, that's that's tough. If you play up a little bit higher on him, if you meet him at the key instead of meeting him at the free throw line, I think that could do a lot more in terms of trying to slow down what he's doing because he, he gets a lot out of that. Um, so that's another small adjustment I would definitely look forward to. And talking about the Pacers' offense, um, I, it was just so stagnant tonight. And, and, you know, the ball moved, but the there wasn't a lot of player movement. I mentioned that earlier. Um, so how do you get that player movement going? Do you start using TJ as a screen setter? Um, you start just trying to run him off more cuts. You get more screens being set that aren't on ball um that's something that you look forward at, i mean that you maybe look at instead of the typical pin downs we see maybe there are a couple of uh, you know maybe there's some zipper actions that are run for tj anything that gets him open or causes the defense to shift because that was a huge problem tonight especially in the fourth quarter there was just nothing that could cause the defense to shift at all they would get into their initial stance uh the play would get run and then nothing would happen outside of that. And then Malcolm ends up isolating with, you know, seven seconds left on the shot clock. And that's not going to be effective playoff fourth quarter offense or just effective playoff offense at all. Um, and then you look, you know, from there on, uh, I think defensively, I really did. You know, there were I think if when I watched the game back again, 
uh, tomorrow morning. Maybe I'll feel a little bit differently about it. But I think mostly it was just communication on defense. Uh, and that's probably partially with Victor out because Victor's one of the prime communicators on there. Um, obviously, Miles is a great communicator on the back end as well. You could tell he was mic'd up tonight. And he, I mean, you would already know as well just if you're a Pacers fan. He's, he's great at communicating from the back line. But Vic is a huge part of that. Vic's probably the best help defender on the team. Um, he's not amazing. At, like, he's pretty good at the point of attack. Not as good with, you know, obviously coming off injury, which is, that makes sense. But the team really missed his help D and just his defensive uh, IQ and intangibles that he brings to the table. Um, and that's something you're going to get with Sumner. I mean, he doesn't have – he has less than 100 games of playing experience. And they, I believe this was his first time playing in the playoffs. I, I could stand corrected on that, but I believe it was at least his first meaningful minutes for sure. Um, and, you know, so you're going to get mistakes like that, which, you know, you kind of live with what you put out there. But he's going to improve with reps. But I think that's something that you that I would definitely be looking forward to as well. Um, hopefully seeing some some cleanup on the defensive side. Um, and lastly, I've, you know, I can only say it so many times, but Miles taking more threes. Um, I'm hopeful that Victor will play in the game on Thursday. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's an eye injury is something you have to be really careful with. And if he's, his eye is going to be swollen up and he can't see out of it, he's got, he can't play. Uh, that's just the way that it is. Um, and, and if Miles is going to have a larger part in the offense, there's kind of two things conjunctively off of it. Number one, he has to take more threes. He has to just gun it when he gets it because that is so key to opening up everything else for the offense, keeping Bam Adebayo out on him or just the, the heat defense having to key in on him. Uh, and it, A, it's just big for his confidence. You could tell he's not confident on the offensive end. He showed confidence on the defensive end. Later in the later in the game, but earlier in the game, the confidence was just not there on the offensive end, and in the whole game, it was not. Uh, and you, you can tell when he passes out of shots that he should be taking and he's capable of taking. Um, so that was tough. And then you also look at one thing that was frustrating me when you have Bam out of bio at the top of the key playing at the point of attack like that, and you get Miles in the block uh, on a mismatch. You know, often it would be Jimmy Butler on him, and Jimmy Butler is a solid post defender. But at the same time, Miles has a huge size advantage on him, you know, three or four inches and, and some, some solid weight on him. Maybe not the same strength, but that's a guy who could, he could easily face up and, and score on. You know, if, if he gets a guy that size on him in the post, there is no reason that the ball should not get down to him and give him that mismatch. I think, you know, when you look at post scoring, you often hear something about, you know, the post up being dead and, uh, you know, in, in terms of that with mid-range shooting. And I think analytics would support if you have – it's more on when you have centers against centers, you don't want them necessarily posting up unless they're that good at post scores, like a Joel Embiid type. But when you have a guy like Miles who's like a solid post-up player, but he's better on mismatches, when he gets that mismatch, that's where it's useful to have post-ups. And not even for if – you know, obviously you want him to score – but if he's able to get fouls, like you saw the one time that he got into a post-up uh, and got the ball up, you know, against, I think it was against Andre Godali, he drew a foul immediately. It was the first time he got it and he drew a foul. And that was huge. Like, that's the kind of stuff, if you can make that happen routinely, make it part of the game plan without it being the entire game plan, that's significant moving forward and can just be another wrinkle to the offense, which this team needs rank wrinkles, even with Vic back in the lineup. Um so, you know, obviously there's a lot more that you can look at pulling out of this game, but those are just kind of my initial reactions. Um, first of all, thank you to everyone for listening. 
Uh, please be sure, again, to go rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Check us out on IndieCornrows.com. And be, be sure to shoot me any questions, comments, feedback, anything on Twitter, at MSchindlerMBA. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.